What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is December 16th right now, which puts us at just about a week away from Christmas. When this comes out, it's going to be the day before Christmas Eve, I think. Maybe yeah, Christmas the 23rd, yeah. The day before Christmas yeah. Eve? Yeah. So we are in the thrill of it. Maybe you could tell I'm pretty tired. I feel like for some reason this time of year, everything is just so much busier and so much crazier. And like my job isn't a job that should be busier around Christmas, but for some reason it, it is, of course. Trying to get all my Christmas shopping done. I'm almost done. Are you done with yours? I'm still waiting on some big packages, which I'm hoping one will arrive today. But I ordered like, I don't know, I don't know if it's the same everywhere. You know, you always hear about shipping delays and things like that. But yeah, it was our, same here. Our postal service at the moment is horrendous. There's one package I know for sure is lost. So I went oh, out no. yesterday and rebought all that. So I'm going to have to wait for them to <laughs> then reimburse. And it was a big one. It was all Christmas presents for my nephew and nieces. Aww. So there's another one for my daughter that is big, and I'm just hoping that arrives today because that is her main Christmas present. But I'm going to oh. try and minimize going to the shops anyway because COVID is getting bad here. So my plan is to go once more and hopefully be done with it. Yeah, I've done mostly everything. I have like a few little things I have to get, but same here. They warned us about shipping like months in advance yeah. being like shipping's going to be bad. It really hasn't been so bad. I've pretty much gotten a lot of things on time. It's weird because some things seem to take forever, even though they're coming from within Australia, whereas other things come really quickly. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, like most of the stuff came pretty fast. And then one thing I ordered on like December 6th that they said is going to come on, it's going to ship on December 13th. But then, of course, when I checked the tracking number, it like hasn't even moved or anything. Mm. So that's when I emailed by accident from the TCS email. <laughs> I was like, oops. Um, do you guys have Amazon or no? Is that just us? We do, but it's not it's as not- big. Like, it's probably not a main platform here because it's either not available in Australia, the products, or like I've bought from Amazon before, but it's just not, doesn't have as wide a range of products as you guys do, I think, here. Yeah. I know Amazon's bad and like we shouldn't be supporting them. So before anyone yells at me, yeah, (laughs) I know. But I'm sure most of you are also using Amazon, especially around now because they do like the free two-day shipping and sometimes even like you get it the next day they've been pretty on point pretty life-saving this time of year (laughs) i feel bad for the drivers though because they're like literally delivering stuff at 9 p.m so i'm hoping at least they start their day later but it's crazy crazy but life-saving yes when this comes out i hope that um everyone is excited for santa to come in a day or two depending where you live and i hope that you're on the nice list and get lots (laughs) of nice nice presents Unless you want to be on the naughty list. (laughs) (laughs) I told my cats that they're on the friggin' naughty list. (laughs) My puppy Daisy's definitely on the naughty list. (laughs) Do you get them presents? Oh, I haven't. I probably should get them something, but... (laughs) We're lame and we always have, like, little stockings for our cats. And we tell them that Santa's coming to bring them gifts if they're good. And we put them in the stockings and then we let them, like, open them. And they do get excited, but we're so stupid because we're, like, taking... I don't have kids, obviously. But I'm, like, taking pictures of my cats with their presents. (laughs) fur babies Uh, yeah you know what gotta find find joy where you can yeah exactly but this is also actually going to be our last episode of the year which is crazy but we're really only taking a week off yeah would love to take more time off but you know what we can't can't disappoint the fans gotta give them what they want (laughs) give the people what they want um so for this episode we are going to go through a bunch of the cases that we've gone over since we've 
started really, I guess. Um, Update from 2021. Yeah, so we're going to go over them all and go over all the little updates because a lot of them will have small updates that aren't really worth doing like a whole episode on. So we compiled them all and we're going to talk about them this episode. So we'll give you like a little brief rundown on what the case was in case you forgot. And then we'll talk about what's the latest, right? Yep. The only ones we're not going to talk about, right, are Suzanne Morphew and Lori Vallow and Chad Debo. Yeah, because I think that they will end up being big enough that we will need to do an episode on them separately once everything happens. So there are some other, like we we aren't covering every single episode here. If it's, you know, a kind of smaller or lesser known case and we don't cover it here, it's because there are literally no updates. There's no news. So we've picked out the ones that have actually had some things happening to tell you guys about. Yeah. And even with Lori Vallow and Suzanne, there's nothing overly interesting pro- or exciting yeah, that has process. happened yeah they're just yeah. like in courts so there's just a lot of court stuff which we post about it when it happens but it's not really anything groundbreaking yeah. where you're missing where we're missing out on talking about it It'd probably be boring if anything still kind of just a state of flux just things are lining up in both those cases but yeah not much has actually really happened yet yeah a lot of back and forth a lot of yeah, yeah Lori's still crazy <laughs> um do you want me to start or do you want to start i don't really care no i don't mind you can start if you want Right. One of the, I think it's our first episode that's out, even though not the first episode we've done, but we unpublished a few older ones because, you know, when you look back at your older stuff, you're just like, <laughs> So I think this is our, our first episode that's published is um, Kara Kopetsky and Jessica Runyon's, which we released in April, April 22nd, 2020. So Kara, she was 17 years old when she went missing from Belton, Missouri in May 2007, and Jessica disappeared after leaving a party in the same area in September 2016. Both females had been tied to a guy called Kyler Eust. They both allegedly had dated him. Kyler and Kara allegedly broke up just days before she disappeared, and Jessica was last seen leaving a party that she was at with Kyler, and then she was never seen again. Seven months later, the remains of both girls were found by mushroom hunters. Their bodies were found very close to each other, just feet away from each other. And Kyler was charged in October 2017 with two counts of murder. He finally went to trial in April 2021 and was found guilty. Um, in June 2021, Judge William B. Collins sentenced Kyler to 15 years for the death of Kara and life in prison which is capped at 30 years in Missouri for the death of Jessica. Lincoln Ud is live at the Cass County Courthouse. Caitlin, what was Youth's reaction at his sentencing today? Well, Dia, quite honestly, he started out insolent and then became combative after that sentence was handed down. The judge was asking Kyler Youst if he felt he'd been adequately represented, and he declared he would only speak to his post-trial conviction attorney. I admire your attempts to uh, foil my uh, appeals, but uh, no thank you, sir. I do not feel like dis- okay. discussing this with so, you. So, uh, have you, uh, did they refuse? Are you my post-conviction counsel? Just- have you been uh, uh, able to talk to them uh, about your case over the last, uh, I think, four years? What do you think? Again, that was Kyler used after learning his fate. A very different demeanor than what we heard when he was on the stand, dressed up in his suit and tie. This time, you notice he was brought in in his prison uniform. Um, so again, just to recap, that's 15 years the maximum in the death of Kara Kopetsky. It's life in prison in the death of Jessica Runyons. But again, because that's second-degree murder in the state of Missouri, that is capped at 30 years. So he's looking at a tom- combined total of 45 years behind bars, eligible for parole at about 85% of that sentencing. The judge did not speak 
specify whether Kyler used to get any time uh, credit for time served. Um, but again, this is basically exactly what the prosecution was asking for today when they asked the judge, pleaded with him to give Kyler use the maximum. Um, so the Cass County assistant prosecuting attorney, Julie Toll, she said in court, it's in 14 years in Kara's case and almost five years in Jessica's case for us to get to this very moment right now. This very moment where we stand before you and ask for the defendant to finally be punished for stealing the lives of Kara and Jessica. Judge Collins ordered that Eust serve his two sentences consecutively back to back. Kara's stepfather, Jim Beckford, said, What we were after was Kara and Jessica finding them and bringing them home. One thing that comes to mind is the love everyone has shown. We're very thankful for justice to come. Kyler's legal team has filed a notion of appeal straight after he was sentenced, but nothing seems to have come from that yet. So, good news. That one is one of the ones that took a very long time, especially for Kara's family, but I feel like it's been going on at a, a snail's pace. Yeah. Of nothing happening, nothing happening, and then finally he's guilty. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of his appeal. I feel like it probably won't. He's a proven proven jerk. I don't even <laughs> I don't even remember what his reason for appealing is. Like I know they pretty much always try to appeal, but like yeah. I don't get and I, don't know I wonder why maybe because they had more evidence because how Jessica he got life in prison and Kara he only got however long. I wonder yeah. if there's some sort of like statute or just like the evidence for Jessica was stronger. Hopefully we'll hear something else soon. But yeah, there doesn't seem to be too much else happening since he's filed that appeal. But maybe next year yeah. there'll be something come from it. And obviously with all these cases that we talk about, if you want to hear more about them and you haven't listened to these episodes yet, go back and listen. If any of them pick your interest, Kyler was a real friggin' douchebag loser, as most yeah. of them are. I always just think of him as the doughboy. That photo of him with his tattoos and I don't know if he's naked or he's like, like you can't see his, you know, anything, but he looks naked. You know, I always just think he just looks so doughy, like, (laughs) I don't know. That like fat, skinny, like skinny, but Yeah, flabby, flabby. It's hard to explain. (laughs) Not Uh, not body shaming, but he's like an asshole. No, no, yeah. Well, yeah, you can body shame an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, fuck him. (laughs) All right. Next Next All right, so there's a bit of a short update for our Long Island serial killer episodes. We aired them in April and May 2020. For anyone who isn't familiar with that case, there's been 10 bodies found on Long Island in New York over the years. Many of the victims were thought to be sex workers, although there was one child victim. Police investigators have come out and basically said that the case isn't cold, even though there doesn't seem to be too much happening. No, it seems cold. Yeah, it seems cold. The current Suffolk County District Attorney, Timothy Sini, or Sinai, said he invested more than 300 thousand dollars in advanced technology to analyze old phone data in the case he believes that the long island serial killer used a burner phone to contact the victims and that he or she also probably carried a regular traceable phone there's a new suffolk county district attorney um, coming in who is named ray tierney he said his first order of business will be meeting with the victim's family members to reassure them that he is committed to solving the murders he said We're going to start from the beginning and we're going to work our way up. He said that he also plans to conduct interviews with all the investigators who ever worked on the case. He said a case file can tell you so much. So you want to get as much information as possible, things that were done and things that were not done. One of the kind of more infamous victims of the Long Island serial killer is Shannon Gilbert. Her remains were found 10 years ago in a marshy area. We go into her kind of disappearance and death in the episodes if you want to learn more, but she made a really long 911 call. I think it was like, if I remember rightly, about half an hour or something like that. 
Yeah, um, before she disappeared, but it's never been made public, which we hope. I think even in the episode we talked about how we hoped it would be made public. Yeah, but the uh, attorney for her family is a man named John Ray, and he said that he has the nine one one call on in his possession on two CDs, and he's battled the Suffolk County Police Department in court for years to get them. However, for some reason, he's not legally allowed to release the audio. He said, I've asked the court recently to allow the public to hear the 911 calls because they'll be shocked when you hear them. So I don't know what he's on those. I don't know. Maybe he she names people or. Um, yeah, it just makes it seem like there's some sort of like not cover up necessarily, but they're trying to protect something like. Yeah, like I don't know. There's there must be like I feel I don't know why they can't. I know it's an active investigation, but I feel like they often release 911 calls in active investigations. They do. So yeah. there must be something that they're trying to not make public for whatever reason. Yeah, like I know she was an escort, but I don't know if like was she, like you said, was she naming names or because there's always there's definitely theories that the Long Island serial killers like a maybe like police a more prominent stuff. person, yeah. yeah, a police officer or a public figure, yeah, yeah. So maybe I don't know. It just makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah, what they're yeah stopping everyone from knowing. I've. I don't remember, but have haven't they always said they don't even know if Shannon is a victim or like she mm. might be but might not be? I guess hers is a little bit different because there's that extra evidence. Like you know, she we know that she was driven there and her pimp or whatever was waiting for her. So yeah, I, I think it's been debated as to if she was a Long Island serial killer victim, but I'm pretty sure now it's thought that she was. She's always grouped in with them. Yeah, yeah, that will happen in the same area, and it, she fits the demographic that, you know, the killer usually targeted of sex workers and mm-hmm. um, kind of vulnerable people. So I'm guessing that surely yeah. it has to probably be related. Yeah. It's interesting, though, there haven't been any recent murders, so I wonder, you know, what's no, the No, I remember someone got hit by a car on the Long Island Expressway and was dismembered, but it was just they were just dismembered because of the force that they got hit with by the vehicle. But I just saw Long Island Expressway dismemberment, and I was like, oh, my God, the Long Island serial killer's back. <laughs> I was um, sadly d- disappointed. You think it'd have to be something like they're in jail, they're dead. Like someone who's killed 10 people probably wouldn't be likely to stop. I guess they could just be old and not able to do it anymore as well as a, that could be an option. But could be Yeah, it could be dead because I remember even when we did the episode, a lot of the people – who people have theorized about it could be like that doctor and things like yeah. that. They were all kind of older at the time this happened anyways. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, Maybe hopefully this the, yeah, the new district attorney might get things going again. Fingers crossed. Yeah, sounds determined. Be mm. nice to get solved. Next, we're going to do one of our favorites, mm-hmm. Honey and Barry Sherman. Very mysterious. Barry and Honey Sherman were one of the world's wealthiest couples worth $3.2 billion thanks to their pharmaceutical empire. We started Apotex in 1974, almost 40 years ago. Known for giving tens of millions of dollars to charitable causes. But this morning, a community in shock after a real estate agent preparing for an open house reportedly found the pair hanging from a railing near this indoor pool inside their more than $5 million Toronto home. The house had recently gone on the market. Police say the cause of death was ligature neck compression. The homicide unit has now taken the lead in the investigation, despite some initial questions about a possible murder-suicide. Those who knew them best say no way. 
So we did an episode on billionaires Barry and Honey Sherman in May 2020. The couple were found brutally murdered in their mansion in Toronto on December 13th, 2017, and nobody has been arrested for their death still. And this is another one where the police just haven't really let out much information at all to the public. I feel like in this case and the the Long Island serial killer case, they always kind of tease that they have this information. Like I know with the Shermans, they were meant to kind of unseal all the records, and I don't think that's ever been made public if it's happened. So. They kind of tease us and tell us they've got all this information, but then don't actually tell us the information. Seems like they're always fighting in court to get info yeah. released. I guess in the Sherman's case, too, it all involves money. So, you know, money talks often. When Honey and Barry were found, their bodies sat side by side, legs outstretched with belt loops around their necks that were attached to a pool railing. They had an indoor pool, of course, as billionaires. So this was by their indoor pool. Um, autopsy results revealed the couple died by literature ligature neck compression a type of strangulation and police have said there was no signs of forced entry into their home police have been notoriously tight-lipped in this case like we were just saying there hasn't been any info released in this case for a long time not really well until the other day there hasn't been anything really released since we even did the episode years yeah but two days ago on tuesday december 14th police released footage of someone who was walking in the vicinity of the sherman home on the night of the murders Detective Sergeant Brandon Price said, We've been able to eliminate the vast majority of people captured on the video. We're left with one individual whom we have been unable to identify. Price said police are suspicious of the person's activities because they walk into a defined area not captured by video surveillance, stay there for a while, and then leave. Um, They said, through our investigation, we've been unable to determine what this individual's purpose was in the neighborhood. The timing of this individual's appearance is in line with when we believe the murders took place. Based on this evidence, we're classifying this individual as a suspect. Price said the video analysis shows the individual is five foot six to five foot nine tall, but the person's sex, race and other identifiers cannot be determined. The video shows the person walking with an unusual gait where they kick up their right foot with every step. Put the video up now. Like it's 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 black and white, or you know, obviously it was nighttime, I guess. But um, he's just walking. He's not particularly moving super fast. He's just normal. Like he looks like he's going somewhere. He's not just out for a stroll. But um, yeah, wearing like a hat. Looks like dark clothing. I'll put the video up on the blog too if you want to check it out. But I guess you know you could maybe try and identify him by body type or whatever but it's quite brainy and dark footage it's weird i wouldn't even notice that he has a weird gait like i get what they're saying now that they said it yeah but he seems to be like i wouldn't look at this and look twice at him he just seems like he's walking someone i think i think it was on instagram messaged us and said that the person walking reminds them of the guy in the missy beavers case or the girl you know hasn't been proven who mm. it was but the person who kind of walks strangely but it doesn't it's not like you wouldn't see that person walking down the street and say oh what's happening with that it's just like kind of a wide weird walk for lack of a better description yeah if no one had said anything i wouldn't have thought i would have just thought he was kind of walking at like a brisk pace which yeah. i guess after you murder someone you'd walk pretty briskly yeah oh yeah um, i'd like to know if this happened if this footage before was taken. after yeah, more about the timing and the actual proximity of the where this person's walking in the video to their house. Yeah, this one is one that I always randomly think about. I'm just like, wonder what happened to them. <laughs> I agree. It's, yeah, I'll be in. I will always follow this one. I think you know sometimes you forget about a case, but this one's always you know every now and then I'll just Google and make sure there's no updates that we've missed. But I feel like a lot of people don't know about it. So if hmm. you're one of those people who doesn't know much about it, I would definitely not just like self-promoting but i definitely go listen to the episode because it's super interesting i think it's 
very mysterious and it's just really weird. I know you could say that about any case, but I don't know. This one is always stuck with me. Definitely. But yeah, um, check out the video. See if you guys recognize who it is, especially if you live in the area. <laughs> and that's that for them. Okay, so the next update is maybe one in the case of missing man, man Chance Engelbert. He went missing um, in 2000, July 2019 from Geary, Nebraska. We covered his case in an episode in June 2020. If you're not familiar with his story, Chance was last seen walking away after a fight with his partner. His phone pinged that night at around 10 p.m. at the WTT truck stop in Gearing, and basically he hasn't been seen since. There was tons of search as no trace of him has ever been found. Um, but on October 18 this year, so 2021, human remains were discovered in, I think it's Melbetta, Nebraska, or Melbeta, Nebraska. This is almost um, a straight line from where Chance went missing, around eight miles away. Like I had a look at it on the map. It's literally, you know, he could have walked it, I guess, if it is ends up being him. As of December 2021, the remains still haven't been identified. Chief Deputy Troy Brown says a hunter found the part of a lower arm bone and a piece of cloth. Forensic pathologists confirm the arm bone is human. Um, Chance's family have been kind of posting regular updates on the Facebook page they have for him, but there is no actual update. It says, just wanting to let you know, we have not received any updates on the remains found outside of Scott's Bluff. We appreciate all the love, prayers, and support. So. I feel like this could be him. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, probably not. But as far as I know, there aren't any other missing people in that vicinity. Um, I feel like the odds are surely it has to be him or, you know, pretty surely. It wasn't something that they, like, ruled out right away, like with Daniel Robinson, how they were, could automatically tell that the remains were much older than mm. how long he'd been missing for. I don't know if it's easier when the person's in a desert because you could tell from probably, like, sun damage or whatever. I, I think too, But they also... haven't said either way yet probably depends on this like I think with Daniel they found a skull so you could probably pretty quickly rule it out based on you know teeth or whatever characteristics the skull had whereas when you've just got an arm bone it might be harder to get DNA or you know whenever I hear that they find just like a random piece of a bone I just like I think about it when I'm outside walking around which honestly isn't very often because I hate walking around outside <laughs> well I mean I like not that this matters I like walking around outside like on a sidewalk but I'm not going hiking very often is more so what I mean <laughs> but anyways not the point like if I it just makes you wonder if you saw like a piece of an arm bone would you recognize it as piece of an arm bone yeah I don't know and like maybe if it was the whole of that you know like because you, you know like you, a bigger like, piece yeah like you know when you see a piece of a skeleton like you can tell it's a bone but if you'd like you just found a little fragment of a bone you might not even recognize even more uh, murray didn't they find like bone fragments yeah yeah so yeah i don't know i don't know if i'd look <laughs> i don't know maybe like, hunters are more you know interested in what's in, you yeah, know, what's maybe, in the area maybe they're used to like what they see normally and that's kind of something different yeah keep your eyes peeled when you're hiking never know and you'll find a bone fragment i think exciting ever happens to me when i'm hiking <laughs> me neither that's why i don't go <laughs> but yeah so Ch chance was missing in july this year it's been two years that he's been now missing so hopefully there's something happens in the case we learn more about these remains soon yeah that's another one where i guess you say family members are pointing fingers at each other more so yeah. his family versus his married wow. family yeah. yeah his wife's family when we did chance's episode we combined his with tyler davis um 
So if you do have listened and you remember there aren't any updates in Tyler's case, he's still missing, no articles, nothing. So Yeah, that's another one I always randomly think of. Yeah, me too, actually, with him. He's another one that is very, um, not like necessarily smiley face killer episode people vibes, but just in the sense that he was out drinking, walked off, never seen again. All right, next is Totes. I think we all, for the most part, maybe I shouldn't assume, but Mm -hmm. most of us know of the Tote family. Um, Tony Tote murdered his whole family. On July 23rd, 2020, we did an episode on the Tote family murders. Any explanation as to what happened, Anthony? Anthony Tote had nothing to say to our camera as deputies took him to the Osceola County Jail. But Sheriff Russ Gibson says he's talking to detectives, confessing to killing his wife, their three children, and their dog inside this celebration home. According to our investigation and according to his statements, it was sometimes towards the end of December that he said that he had killed his family. Photos of the family were widely circulated online as concern for their safety grew. The sheriff says the first time they were called out to the home was on December 29th when a family member asked deputies to do a well-being check. Gibson says they didn't make contact with anyone, but it wasn't uncommon for them to be out of town. The blinds were closed. There was nothing suspicious noted. Uh, They checked with some neighbors. They didn't get anything suspicious from them. Then on January 9th, Federal agents with the Department of Health and Human Services asked for the sheriff's office help to serve an arrest warrant for Anthony Tote, accused of health care fraud. They tried finding him over the weekend, finally taking him into custody on Monday. And that's when deputies found the victims. The sheriff says they were likely dead when deputies stopped by the home last month. He wouldn't say how they were killed or share a possible motive, but he's calling this a tragedy. This is despicable and, and cannot be tolerated anywhere in the United States of America. Megan and Tony Tote lived with their kids, Alec, Tyler, and Zoe, in picturesque Celebration, Florida. To an outsider, their lives seemed pretty perfect. That was the image that they wanted to portray. Underneath the surface, though, Tony was committing health insurance fraud to cover their astronomical debts. In December 2019, Tony allegedly snapped and murdered Megan, their kids, and even the family dog, Breezy. He remained inside the house with the bodies for days and concocted a web of lies to try to cover his tracks. Tony's facing several counts of capital murder and one count of cruelty to animals. Um, There's been a lot of back and forth this year prior to the start of his trial. A judge finally set the start date for the trial as January 24th, 2022. It's expected to run for three weeks. Lawyers will meet with the judge again for a status hearing on December 20th to make sure things are set to go to trial. Tony has previously blamed his wife, Megan, for the murders. Very classy of him. Very convenient now that she's dead and can't defend herself. I know. Now that you murdered her. Um, <laughs> the judge has ruled that Tony can appear in court without handcuffs or chains. The judge did ban the mention of Tote's last name as the German word for dead, <laughs> but will allow the jury to see photos of the victims' bodies. So random. I know. Like, <laughs> I wonder who thought of that first. Like, was it the prosecution being like, "Oh, we got him with this one," or was it the, the defense being like, "Let's just like get ahead of it"? <laughs> and what, like, I don't know. Could you imagine them saying that in court, though? Well, no, like, it just seems like such a random discussion point. <laughs> like, as a jury member, would you be like, "Oh, wow." He definitely must have done it then. <laughs> In that case. <laughs> so, yeah, that's another one that's been slow moving, it seems, which I get. It's crazy. We've said this before, too. It's crazy how some seem to go to trial so fast and are over with so fast and some take forever, which I, I know like some cases are bigger and more involved than other ones, but 
Some just take so long, it seems. Some go quick. Like, I always say that Chris um, Watts's trial seemed to happen quite quickly. Like, yeah. I know it was still obviously a process, but it seemed to be over and done with a lot quicker than a lot of these other ones that drag on for years. I guess years also because he, he took, like, a plea deal. Yeah. Which probably helps. Yeah, true. In um, terms of the photos that they mentioned that they're going to allow the jury to see, I'll pop, I think they're all up on the blog anyway, but I'll double check. But there's 383 um, crime scene photos that are made public. So I'm assuming there's probably more, um, you know, that the jury will see as well. So Yeah, like the ones that are out aren't of the bodies, but you can see blood and stuff in them. Yeah. All right, next is Evelyn. All right, so on September 16, 2020, we covered the really sad case of Evelyn Boswell. Evelyn was 15 months old when she died. She'd been reported missing by her grandfather in February 2020, but nobody had actually seen her since December 2019. Amy, Maggie Boswell says that her mother was the last person to be with Evelyn, and she took her to a campground in Virginia. She says if the TBI doesn't go there, she'll go herself, but the TBI says... They did go search that campground and they've come up with nothing at this time. Now, the TBI says they've received hundreds of tips on the investigation, but there is still no sign of Evelyn Boswell. The Sullivan County Sheriff Jeff Cassidy said in a press conference he thinks Evelyn is still alive. He also said some of the information for Maggie isn't adding up. Maggie said she had someone whom she trusted watch Evelyn while she was at work. She said she didn't call police after the person disappeared. Meanwhile, Evelyn's grandmother, Angeline Boswell, and another person were arrested in connection to Evelyn's disappearance in North Carolina. Investigators say the two were driving a stolen BMW they were searching for in connection to the case. We learned yesterday that Angela Boswell has been extradited back to Tennessee. The reward for her uh, safe return has now been uh, inched up to $56,000. That's for any information that leads to finding Evelyn Boswell. At this point, the TBI is just looking for any information, so if you have any, give them a call. I feel like since we covered that case, there's been a lot of um, similar ones where the kids yeah. haven't been seen for months. Or Yeah, I can't decide if it's happening more frequently or you just hear about it more that we focus on crimes more, I guess. But yeah. it always makes me wonder about if the pandemic or just quarantine and being in lockdown ever like feeds into yeah, it. Yeah, true. A month after she was reported missing, her little body was found in a shed on the family member's property. There were diapers, clothes, and toys found at the site, which I know some people have kind of speculated that she was left to kind of die in the shed and was abandoned or maybe had been living in the shed. We don't, we still don't know, but it sounds like she had a very sad end. Evelyn's mother, Megan Boswell, was eventually charged with two counts of felony murder plus 17 other charges in relation to Evelyn's case. Her trial keeps getting pushed back as well. It was finally set this year and it will begin on September 26, 2022. The trial is again, like Tony Totes, expected to take three to four weeks, including time for jury selection. The attorneys involved in this case have been advised to allow an extra week in case it needs to be moved to a new county or if a jury needs to be brought in from a different area. Um, this is because it was quite a high profile and, you know, highly covered case. So I guess they don't want anyone to be prejudiced or go into yeah. it without a fresh and open mind. Even though they're different, this case is very Summer Wells-esque in a way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think this actually happened close to where Summer disappeared as well. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Not close enough where it was like enough to say, but yeah, like half an hour away or something like that. 
Um, so prosecutors have said they will not seek the death penalty in this case um, and we'll keep you updated, I guess, if and when her trial ever hopefully starts, which September next year, fingers crossed. They never said like her cause of death or anything, did they? Um, I, I don't can't remember. Think so. I feel like they didn't release it on purpose. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be part of the... I feel like they didn't really release any information after she was found. Well, they've said that like Megan has been charged with aggravated child abuse and child neglect and things like that. So it leads you to believe it was probably a violent Sad. death. Yeah. So, but no, they've never actually said, you know, if she was strangled or whatever, however yeah. she died, that might come up in the trial. Got to wait like another year, basically. <laughs> Story of our lives at the moment. I know everything keeps getting pushed back. First, it was the pandemic and now it's just like still the pandemic, I guess, and just too many cases now. Yeah. So that brings us to our next one, which is going to be about Alexis Sharkey, which we've briefly talked about some updates with. Um, on February 11th of this year, we did an episode on her and Jason Landry. We're also going to talk about Jason. Alexis, if you don't remember, she was a social media influencer who was found dead on the side of the road in Houston in November 2020. The medical examiner did reveal a few months after her death that she died from strangulation and that her death was considered a homicide. Nobody was ever named as an official suspect in her case, but immediately many people suspected her creepy husband, Tom, might have been involved. He made some social media posts right after she died along the lines of, my world, my everything, I'm so lost right now, my one and only. But then he went silent. On October 6th this year, police went to Tom Sharkey's daughter's house in Florida to arrest him in relation to Alexis's murder. They had apparently been trying to track him down for months. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't look at his family member's house, but <laughs> unless maybe it was like on the move, but yeah. he fled Houston not long after Alexis died and went to Florida, I guess. As police were entering the property, Tom shot himself in the head. Law enforcement did a media briefing and said that Tom Sharkey was the only person with a motive in the murder case, believing the killing was the result of domestic violence. This was the first time that Tom had ever been publicly called a suspect. We tried to request Tom's autopsy report from the medical examiner, but haven't had any luck yet. Same with Alexis. Yeah, they wouldn't send us Alexis's to start because I guess it was an open investigation. But now I'm assuming now that the only suspect is dead, it's probably closed or would be almost closed if it's not yet. So might yeah, try and do that again. Them. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, that was another one where... A lot of people were very invested in it because it just happened so fast. There's tons of information. Tons of people were involved because she was an influencer to some capacity. So a lot of people followed her. A lot of people knew of her. And everyone was suspicious of Tom because all of the friends were coming out saying that Alexis has told him that he abused her in the past. And then it was just silence for months and months and months. Yeah. And it came to a big end. I was going to say like a, the sad trumpet of an ending. Like, wham, wham. <laughs> So in that same episode, we also spoke about Jason Landry. Um, Jason went missing almost exactly a year ago, December 13, 2020. He's still missing. He had been driving home to Missouri City for Christmas when he crashed his car, his car in Luling, Texas. He'd only been driving for around 30 miles at the time. His phone, wallet and clothes were found at or near the scene and they've kind of been searching for him ever since. His dad is a big figurehead in the search. At 2 a.m. on December 14, 2020, Kent Landry awoke to the phone call every parent dreads. Highway Patrol had found his son's car wrecked along this gravel road in central Texas. But Jason 
wasn't inside. In the dead of night, Landry drove to the crash site. The former defense attorney turned pastor, shocked when he pulled up. I've been to plenty of crime scenes, and I was expecting police and searchers, and there was no one. Landry quickly making a startling discovery. This is his flip-flops. A pile of his son's clothes. Socks, shorts. Some bloody, strewn across the road. And I could tell that it was Jason's clothes because Jason wears crazy socks, bright yellow SpongeBob, and I knew those socks and I recognized his clothes. But with temperatures near freezing that night, clothes would have been a lifeline. Three thoughts flooded the father's mind. Why on earth was his son on this road, so far off the main highway? Where was Jason now, and why was no one looking for him? You cry when you think of your child walking down this stupid dirt road in the middle of nowhere. I wish I'd never heard of Salt Flat Road. In October this year, investigators put all of the drone imaging they had in relation to this case through a computer program that tracked hundreds of anomalies. The drone program analyzes those images and looks for color variations, which I actually find this quite fascinating. But yeah, so what they've done, it, yeah, it's very high tech. And they, so basically they've, you know, indicated where color spots may be bone fragments, which I can't even believe they can pinpoint that. We're talking about how I can't even find a bone fragment like walking around, but this <laughs> the drone. drone's going to find them. <laughs> the Coldwell County Sheriff's Office investigator, Jeff Ferry, has said that they're going to investigate, you know, these bones. We're going to go back and determine if these are human remains or critters. And through the whole kind of drone process, they've now found 86 points of interest to investigate, which is crazy. Jason's family have also hired a private investigator, and I'm not sure of the reasoning, but that investigator believes that Jason may not have been alone on the night he disappeared. His family wrote um, on a change.org petition about that. It said, the private investigative team hired by Jason's parents has uncovered circumstantial evidence that Jason was not alone at the time of his disappearance. The PI team strongly believes that a geofence warrant will enable them to locate a suspect or suspects as well as additional witnesses. But they are, you know, I think the, the reason for the petition is that the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office and the Caldwell County District's Attorney's Office won't agree to the warrant application. The family want to know which cell phones were active in the area at the time. I guess, you know, they can kind of rule out who was around and why they were there. So they're asking people to sign the petition to, you know, help them get that information. Yeah, so it's like there still sounds like there's a lot of traction in that case. There was a lot of media coverage for the one-year anniversary. Maybe something will come from the bone fragments and this new kind of push to get new information. It is like only recently is I've seen that suggestion that he wasn't alone. Um, yeah. I don't know why why they think that. I'd yeah, like to I wonder what the circumstantial evidence is. Mm brings us to we covered the cases of alan white and jake Safolia, the missing executives um two separate missing executives we did their episode on march 11 2021 both men were missing from different states alan was last seen in dallas texas and jake went missing in illinois we did an update earlier this year on how alan's remains are found not far from where his loner Porsche had been found. There's been no real information released about his death, but his family believed that he was murdered. His brother Tim spoke to the media on October 22nd, which marked the one-year anniversary of his disappearance. He said, I'm just hoping today with it being the one-year anniversary, someone will finally step up and say, hey, I saw this happen, or 
I have some evidence or I have some information that maybe they can pass on to DPD and maybe they can run with it. His brother also said, um, we really want to know what is the cause of his demise. Families offering a $20,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest. Crime Stoppers is offering $5,000 for information that leads to a conviction or arrest. So they've never said his death is a homicide or anything. Homicide is investigating it, but like that, they've never said if it's one way or another. A lot when it's in kind of an unexplained or an unknown cause of death as well. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. They haven't released anything about, you know, the condition his remains were found or about his actual cause of death. So, yeah, I don't know. I know yeah. there's someone on our site who says they have kind of inside information and this was definitely a homicide, but I am still of the opinion that it may not be. Yeah, I don't know. I won't be surprised either way, no. but... I just I just feel like if it was a homicide, there would be much more public, you know, public, many more public appeals and more information from the police because they've been quite closed-lipped it makes me think there's maybe not 100% proof it was a murder I wonder if they're also trying to figure out if it is a murder or if it's not a murder because it was a while since his between him going missing and his remains being found yeah I don't know it's been very quiet since they found his remains it definitely has um, you want to do Jake? Yeah. So there were some pretty huge updates, which I think we've touched on previously quickly in the Jake Sofolia case. Jake went missing in August 2020, and his remains were found hanging from a tree in October 2021. There were some rumours that Jake had been involved in a criminal investigation prior to his suicide, but we just kind of assumed it was related to his job. He had some higher flying. I think he worked for United Airlines. He was kind of yeah, like an he was executive. like a vice president of something. So I just assumed it would be something related to, I don't know, whatever, corporate fraud or something like that. But we were pretty, or well, I was pretty wrong. Um, this info comes from NBC Chicago. It said, in December 2021, police released info stating that Jake had been under investigation for child pornography. A search warrant had been executed at his home the day before he disappeared. Police reports say that Sofolia had downloaded images and videos of female children aged 3 to 11 engaged in various acts of sexual conduct. The release of the report was in response to the NBC5 Investigates Freedom of Information Act um, for all the documents in this investigation. He was never criminally charged, um, even though his home was searched. I'm guessing that was kind of the process that was happening when he disappeared. Police yeah. took his laptop, flash drives, iPad, PC, and two iPhones, um, and they say that basically they started to investigate him in July 2020 when they captured his IP address on a file-sharing ne network offering child porn files for download. When questioned by officers, he denied downloading any of it. So they, when they found him, they say that he was suspended from a tree by two belts and that a mostly empty bottle of rum and a backpack were nearby. Inside the backpack was a note addressed to his two teenage children saying he was sorry and embarrassed to take the easy way out. I feel for them. That must be a horrible, imagine, you know, bad enough losing your dad, but then finding out the circumstances of what he allegedly did before he died. That's what would be horrible for them. Yeah, I feel bad for the kids. They're mm. pretty young too, I think, right? Yeah, like I feel like they're like early teenagers, like 13 or, you know. Yeah, like 12. Or 18 or 19 or 20. So. Yeah. It would be a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, definitely sad. I Not that I really suspected it was child porn, but whenever I hear someone, especially a man, I know 
women can tell in child porn too, but they usually don't. Whenever I hear like a man is under a federal investigation, that's always my first thought. And then the fact that he was missing just makes you be like, hmm, what was he under an investigation for? They probably went off and killed himself. So I, I always kind of thought that, but kind of as like a, oh my God, imagine if. It was still, I still was, I gasped still yeah. when I heard. Me too, I couldn't believe it. Like I, I, I knew that the outcome would probably be anyway that he suicided because he was seen entering the preserve and all that. So I knew he would likely be found in there anyway. But yeah, when they released more information, it was pretty shocking. Yeah. So that brings us to Philip Adams. This is another one where this update just came out. Kind of seems like they knew we were doing an update episode. <laughs> there's been so many updates this week. Every everyone must be doing their year wrap up because <laughs> yeah, been they're so like, oh, we got to get this one done. <laughs> on April 29th, 2021, we did an episode on the NFL player Philip Adams. We kind of did a little CTE special, I guess. We did an episode on him and Chris Benoit, who also murdered his family. Adam shot and killed six people, including two young children at a home in Rock Hill, South Carolina, before killing himself just weeks before we did the episode. Tonight, authorities searching for a motive behind the horrific mass murder in the quiet town of Rock Hill, South Carolina. A prominent local doctor, Robert Leslie, his wife Barbara, and two grandchildren, nine-year-old Ada and five-year-old Noah, gunned down in their home. Outside, 38-year-old James Lewis, who had been working at the property, also found dead. A co-worker seriously wounded. Authorities launching a desperate manhunt. The description we're given was a black male wearing black clothing, carrying something red, possible automatic gun. That search would lead them to a former NFL player, Philip Adams, who was found barricaded inside his parents' home nearby. After an hours-long standoff, police entered to find Adams dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Intercepted by Philip Adams. Adams spent six injury-riddled seasons in the NFL, playing for six teams and suffering at least two concussions within a three-game period in 2012. He retired in 2015. We discussed the possibility of him having chronic traumatic encephalopathy, better known as CTE. It turns out that that is exactly what he had. An article published on December 14th said that a neuropathologist who studied Adam's brain found he had stage 2 CTE and described it as unusually severe in the frontal lobes of his brain. A statement from his family said they were not surprised by the results, but were shocked to learn about the severity of his injuries. Um, they've previously spoken about how his mental health had degraded fast before his death and blamed his playing career. They expressed hope in their statement that the findings would help bring awareness to CTE, adding, Philip is not the first to battle with this disease and he will not be the last. So that's that. The family he actually ended up killing it was like his doctor his doctor that he had for a long time he killed the two of them like the whole family and the grandkids oh no it was the family the, the grandkids and the people right? who were working at the house two of, well, i think there was two aircon men or something like that yeah. who were working there yeah. and one died later in the hospital which is crazy just, yeah um ct is very interesting hopefully think about how many people play football or contact sports just hopefully they can be more aware of it and find a better way to combat it. Definitely. So there's been some big updates in the case of missing Australian campers Russell Hill and Carol Clay. We first covered their story uh, May 20 this year. The short rundown of their case is basically that they were having an affair for decades. Russell was married to someone else. I think Carol had just split from her husband of however many years, but they'd been having a secret kind of affair for years and they went on a camping trip together in March 2020. 
and they never came back. Their campsite was found burned down, but no trace of them was found. There's always been kind of media coverage, but it was just a lot of noise. There wasn't actually too much happening until November this year. Police made a public appeal for information about a blue Nissan patrol that was seen in the area at the time. They'd kind of gone through a process of elimination and eliminated all the other cars that were seen, and this was the only one they couldn't figure out who it was. They released images and details about characteristics of the car and a trailer that had been towed by the car at the time. Pretty quickly after that, it was late November, an airline pilot named Greg Lynn was arrested for the murders of Russell and Carol. He was held for questioning for days before he was finally charged. Greg had a patrol that was very similar to the one being sought by police and we were sent some Google Earth or, you know, Google images of the car in the driveway over the years and it had somehow mysteriously changed colour a few <laughs> times. So I think when Not they actually got, when they got the car, I'm pretty sure he'd painted it like a beigey cream colour from the blue, I guess, in an attempt to cover it up. That was a gross colour. I don't. I still want to know what his wife thought. Like, imagine if you're just out there painting the car, you'd be like, "What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, like I just want to get it changed to this gross beige color. And it's a shitty. Like, it's a four wheel drive, so you know it's fine for camping and all that. But it's like an old. I think it's like at least twenty years old. Like, it's not a car. Yeah, that like you'd... it's not a new fancy car. They'd no. be like, "Oh, I'm gonna like get a cool color on it." No, it's just an old car. You'd be like, "Why are you wasting your time?" <laughs> um, so I'm assuming Greg spilled to police once he was arrested. Because just a few days after that, Russell and Carol's remains were found. Their bodies were found in a remote area of Victoria called Dargo. There are some online rumours and speculation that the bodies were burned, but the police haven't confirmed this. I think the ongoing theory is that their bodies were put in the trailer that was seen being um, towed by the patrol, and police have actually issued an appeal for information about the trailer, uh, trailer which Greg sold last year, I believe. So I don't know if they've managed to track that down, but... It sounds like they had a pretty grisly end. They haven't released a motive yet. Um, no, I really want to know that. Like, I want to know what yeah. happened. I know they've said they have speculated there was either an argument about the drone that Russell had or about the camping spot that they were in. So maybe, I don't know, Russell wanted the spot that Greg had and they had a fight, I don't know, or vice versa. But they haven't confirmed them. Either way, like either of those. Yeah, not dumb. that there's ever a good reason, but such a dumb reason to kill yeah. two people. Yeah. So Greg has been remanded in custody until a court hearing is scheduled for May 2022 and he's yet to enter a plea. So basically he's going to be held for six months without even having a plea, which is interesting. But, um, yeah, fingers crossed something will happen quickly with that case. And that brings us to my favorite family to talk <laughs> about. Um, on July 1st, 2021, we covered the whole mess surrounding Josh Duggar and the rest of the family. Um, Josh was arrested in April 2021 on child pornography charges, and his trial happened in December 2021. Like, see, that one happened pretty fast. Mm. Um, he was pleasingly found guilty on all charges. He will sit in jail for four months waiting his sentencing. It seems like the family is kind of imploding at this time. Um, Jana Duggar, she's been charged after all this, as if we hadn't had enough of the Duggars. Jana Duggar swoops in and has been charged in Arkansas with a misdemeanor count of endangering the welfare of a child. So, of course, everyone lost their minds. Like, as soon as Josh Duggar's trial is over, there's a, there's another issue on the way. For a while, we didn't really know what had happened. Um, there wasn't any information out. So she ended up putting out a statement on it 
And she said that the charge stems from an incident a few months ago when one of the children she was babysitting wandered outside alone. She said a passerby who saw the child called the police. This resulted in a written citation as well as a follow-up with child welfare who concluded that it was an accident and the child was unharmed, she wrote in a post on her Instagram story. She said the child was safe and the child welfare recognized that it was a case of a child slipping out of the house when you turn your back for a moment. It all happened so quickly and was scary. I'm grateful for law enforcement and those who protect and serve our community. I was certainly never arrested like some may have implied. In the end, I was just upset at myself that it happened at all, but so thankful it all ended safely. And that's truly what mattered the most to me. Um, her sister, Jessa, also came to her defense calling it an innocent mistake, said she was babysitting and one of the kids slipped out the door unnoticed but ended safely. Could have happened to anyone. Jessa also said she thinks the story gained attention because of quote, other current family circumstances, referring to her brother Josh Duggar's conviction in a separate unrelated case. So the whole thing, I get that that mistakes like that happen, especially when you have 8,000 kids. Um, but just weird, because I feel like if that's what happened, would they really give you a ticket for it? And I also feel a like- charged for it? Because they said she was charged with it. Yeah. I feel like also calling it an innocent mistake is a bit um, rich, really, because, like, it was an innocent mistake, I'm sure, but and nothing happened, so it was fine, but something could have happened. You know, yeah. like, it's, it just seems like, I don't know. Seems like they're not telling the whole story. Sure, no. maybe it wasn't a huge deal in comparison to Josh, but I think most things wouldn't be a huge deal in comparison to that, but just seems like they're not telling the whole truth there. Yeah. Like, I, like sure, maybe it wasn't intentional, but I just feel like there's more to it than what they're saying. The other Duggar update, too, is that Jim Bob failed to make the runoff in Arkansas State Senate primary. I think he got 456 votes, which is like 15% of the votes. So. <laughs> How does he even get that many? It's probably all his kids <laughs> and grandkids. Yeah, that's what I said. It has to be all the family and all the, you know, all the people who they, you know, testified for them in court and all that stuff. Yeah, there's um, um, some interesting um, Ask Me Anythings on the Duggar Snark subreddit. There was a bodyguard who did it, and one of um, the jury members, they were answering some questions that were pretty interesting. I mean, nothing like groundbreaking, but I think the bodyguard even said that he had witnessed like some things that were he would consider child endangerment or like abuse and that he reported. But we'll post the links to them if you want to read them. Um, think there's anything like too insane but it was interesting to read kind of backs up all the you know what everyone thinks about them anyway about how the women are treated and yeah just interesting to hear about the family dynamic yeah more so uh that brings us to the murdochs glad i'm not doing it the murdoch is it <laughs> yeah, alec, murdoch. Alec, alec murdoch all right so there's been some other really big updates in this case. We did an episode, two-part episode, just in October, so just two months ago. And since then, there's been a ton happening. If you're not familiar with this case, Alex and his wife, Maggie, lived, you know, pretty affluent You already life. said Alex. Oh, I did say Alex. Oh, my God. I need to, in my notes, I need to just change it to Alex. Right, so I Alex. Don't say it. Alex and his wife, Maggie, lived a pretty affluent life with their two sons, Buster and Paul. They're basically kind of South Carolina royalty. Everyone knows who they are. They've got, you know, a few homes all over the place. Maggie liked to wear fur coats, you know, all that type of stuff. Hunting lodge. Yeah, hunting lodge. A few years ago, things started going really wrong for them. Their housekeeper, Gloria, died mysteriously. And Paul, who's one of the sons, 
allegedly caused a boat crash while drunk that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach. And then in June this year, Alex found Paul Alec Alec <laughs> found Paul and Maggie murdered at one of the homes they owned. Police have now reopened other cold cases in the area looking for connections to the family. And then Alec also paid someone to shoot him in the head for a suicide for hire insurance plot that kind of went wrong and he just had a graze, basically, is what we think. Yeah. Um, things have gone from bad to worse for Alec. The 911 call made at the time that Gloria Satterfield injured herself has been released. So Gloria was the housekeeper who allegedly fell over the dogs and fell down some stairs and she ended up passing away in hospital. The Colleton County 911 call was made by Maggie at around 9.24 a.m. The call goes for just over six minutes and she said that Gloria had fallen while climbing up a flight of eight brick steps and was bleeding from the top of her head. The 911 dispatcher asked her some questions and they learned that Gloria was on the ground at the bottom mumbling somewhat semi-conscious but not really responding. After Maggie spoke to the dispatcher for a few minutes, an unidentified young male, so I'm assuming that's either Buster or Paul, got on the phone and said that dispatch told dispatch that Gloria had cracked her skull and was bleeding from the head and left ear onto the concrete. At one point, the male appeared to become frustrated or belligerent, saying, can you stop asking all these questions? She's not, like, responding appropriately, but she is awake. <laughs> Man, she's not, no, she's not responding. Okay, I just, I, I've already got the mom away. Me asking questions does not slow them down, ma'am. Knowing if she's conscious is one of the things that the medic needs to know if she's responding really. at all to you. No. Do you know if she's ever had a stroke or anything before? Ma'am, can you stop asking her this question? I already have them on the way. I already have them on the way. Me asking questions does not slow them down in any way. These are relevant questions that I have to ask for the ambulance. Not unconscious. She's just mumbling. Okay. I believe she's maybe hit her head and had, maybe has a concussion or something. Okay. Maybe. So I don't know what he thinks the job of a 911 dispatcher is, except to ascertain what has happened. But anyway. They were bothering him. Yeah, yeah. And I guess he maybe they didn't have their story straight for whatever happened. But mm-hmm. during the call, Gloria repeatedly tried to get back up but fell down. Um, so that's kind of an update on the Gloria Satterfield incident. In November this year, Alec was indicted on 27 additional charges with prosecutors saying he had stolen nearly $5 million in settlement money that he'd obtained for the Gloria Satterfield settlement, an injured state trooper and other people and fees meant for his law law firm. In December this year, like now, in the last few weeks, Mallory Beach's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, um, announced that he was going to sue Alec. Mallory was killed in the boat crash, as we mentioned earlier, where Paul was driving. Anthony's argument is that Alec was well aware that his son was drinking underage and that he should have done something about it. He said that he suffers with painful symptoms similar to PTSD. Just a few days ago, December 14, Alec agreed to pay $4.3 million to the family of Gloria Satterfield. This happened during a bond hearing for him. This information comes from CNN. Like, so it talks about what kind of happened in the bond hearing. It said, he then read from a brief apology statement from Murtock to the Satterfield family for his financial transgressions committed in connection with the wrongful death settlement funds recovered in connection. It's a lot of words, but basically he's apologizing for what he did to Gloria Satterfield's family. Stealing all their money. Stealing all their money. There's a... There's a judgment agreement that needs to be approved by a receiver who's currently controlling all of Alec's money. 
there's a $7 million bond that's been assigned to him. And if he can post it, he will be placed on house arrest with GPS monitoring, will not be allowed any contact with witnesses or co-defendants, and will have to receive mental health and substance abuse, abuse counselling. He will also have to surrender his passport. I'll just have a look and make sure there's nothing else that's happened. I don't think there is. So I haven't actually heard. There's, you know, nothing else at the moment on the bond hearing and update. So I'm sure that will happen soon, though, and we'll keep you posted when anything happens in that. I wonder what will come of um, Mallory's boyfriend's lawsuit because that's, I could, it's like plausible, but hard to prove, maybe. Yeah. That Alec knew that they were drinking. Add it to the list of things for him to worry about. Add it to the list. So that brings us to Jelani Day. We covered Jelani's case on October 28th, 2021. And we talked about it a few times since then. His body was found in the Illinois River in September this year. And his family believe his death was not a suicide, which is kind of what law enforcement were saying it was. They, they never really officially said, but that's kind of what they seem to be leaning towards. They've been pushing for the FBI to become involved in his case. On December 13th, just a few days ago, the FBI announced that they're now offering a $10,000 reward for info into Jelani's death. Federal authorities are looking for tips that will help with substantial information about Day's final hours leading to the identification of new witnesses, evidence, or evidence in this case. Investigators believe the full cooperation of the public in Day's close contacts may be key to understanding the facts and circumstances surrounding Day's death. Um, So we thought that his family, his mother, would be very happy about this because they had been pushing for this. They've been very vocal about thinking he was the victim of a crime. I mean, the the circumstances around his death are mysterious, but his mom and family were adamant that something happened to him and wanted the FBI involved. But they're they're still not happy, I guess. Um, Carmen Bolden Day, his mother, told NBC Chicago, I don't need a publicity stunt. I need to find out what happened with my son. They want to act like they're doing something. I want them to do something. She said this should have been done in August when she reported her son missing. She said this is December 13th and we're just now coming out with ideas of a social media campaign. And that's it. So I guess she is still annoyed. I mean, either way, hopefully they can find some more information about his death that will give the family some more closure, whether it was a homicide or there was foul play involved or it was a simple accident or it was uh, on purpose suicide. Hopefully we can get some more definitive answers. It does seem like there's a lot of, um, like, I know there's not actually a lot happening in his case publicly. But every Like, every week there's new articles coming out about his death. So at least it's staying in the spotlight and hopefully something will come of that. Yeah. And there's still a, things, a lot of things that have been left kind of open-ended. So we shall see. Okay. So one of our most recent episodes was on the Astroworld tragedy. If you're not familiar with that, it was 10 people passed away following a Travis Scott festival concert in texas um you know there was a crowd crush a lot of things went wrong we did a whole kind of investigative look into it if you want to check out the episode there hasn't been too much happening as we only covered it a month ago um travis has been dropped from the 2022 coachella lineup i did read some articles that say you know he pulled out but i'm pretty sure they got rid of him so he won't be performing there mutually parted ways yes parted ways so Travis did an interview recently with Charlemagne the God. He spoke about what happened on the day and basically kind of said that he wasn't aware of anything wrong. He said, 
It's just been a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, a lot of grieving, just trying to wrap my head around it. During the interview, he told them that he wasn't amiss until a news conference was called after his set. People pass out, things happen at concerts, but something like that. So he's playing, you know, poor me, I didn't know about this. You know, people pass out, you know, people, you know, things happen at concerts, but something like that, it's just like... Yeah, people said they uh, collectively, they collectively heard folks screaming help every time you stopped the song to get your attention. Did you did you hear any of those screams? Nah, man. And you know, it's so crazy because I'm that I'm that artist too. Like, you know, anytime you can hear something like that, you want to stop the show. You know, I stopped it like a couple of times to just make sure everybody was okay. And I just really just go off the, you know, the fans' energy as a collective, mm-hmm. you know, call and response. And I just didn't, I just didn't hear that. Charlemagne mentioned witness accounts of concert goers, you know, crying and pleading for help. Travis said he would have stopped his performance if he had been aware. He said, I'm that artist that anytime you can hear something like that, you want to stop the show. And he said that his attention was compromised by music lights and pyrotechnical elements of his performance, which I think is like, you know, I, we've, we spoke about it in the episode that maybe he didn't realize the extent of what was happening because I'm sure people pass out and collapse all the time at concerts, but he... Also, that what I just said before, even though I think we kind of knew this, but it officially came out, the coroner officially said that they died from... Hold on. I've got it here. It's um, oh. compression asphyxia. So yeah. basically they were crushed to death. There was one guy, Mirza Danish Bag, and he did have cocaine, methamphetamine, and ethanol, but all the others were just... Like, so he was, his cause of death was still crushed, but he did have those kind of additional things. Added the factors. Others, yeah. The others were all just compression asphyxia. Crushed. Yeah. Yeah. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off with what you no, were no. saying. Um, but yeah, my thoughts are, like we said it in the episode, I still feel like I don't think that he knew what was going on to an extent because I do feel like he would have stopped the show because obviously that would just affect him negatively. Like, you know, people dying at his show, why wouldn't he want to try to help them? Maybe that's me just, like, thinking that there's good in people, which maybe there isn't. But I do think he's still to blame for the environment of chaos that he created and never really thinking of the consequences of that over the many years that he's performed. I guess, too, like, one thing that he said during the interview, he said, I'm the face of the festival, I'm the artist, so the media wants to put it on on me, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's more so about that. It's more stepping up to figure out what the problem is, and I could take that. I could take stepping out to figure out what the problem is. He's he's not a very good speaker, so he waffles no, a lot. No, I was going to say, he's, he's very <laughs> inarticulate. Yeah, so basically, he has never admitted responsibility, and I actually don't in terms of a legal sense, blame him. Because if he admitted responsibility, imagine the, uh, you know, fallout from that. The financial fallout would be massive. So I don't think he actually can. But I feel like what he's saying is very insensitive and very um, just tone deaf. It's just keeps carrying on with that. I'm sure it's hard to, like, you want to defend yourself and say your piece, but also he should have probably just not done this interview. I don't think it really benefited him in any way. No, and he hasn't, um, like, I know they did Kylie's baby shower recently, but they've, they have been very quiet, which is the right thing. And he was, probably. well, over Thanksgiving, he was, like, out golfing with some other celebrities, and a lot of people were side-eyeing that, too. But, I mean, it's also, like, 
what else what's he gonna do sit inside and cry all day (laughs) yeah yeah like yeah yeah he should do that but realistically he's not going to yeah one of the victims was axel acosta his family released a statement just after they've released the causes of death um it says the report confirms what the family knew is that Axel was crushed and killed that night by the crowd through no fault of his own. It is also important to know that Axel's blood contained no intoxicants or other substances. Now we have received the official results. I want to say to our police chief, shame on you. Shame on you for perpetuating and giving credence to the silly rumor that people were being injected at the concert. In doing so, you added more pain to an already unbearably painful situation for his family. Axel Acosta's family looks forward to now presenting their case in court in front of a jury in hopes that everyone is held legally responsible. You can tell that a lot of what these families are saying and even what Travis is saying is being fed to them by their lawyers, which is the right thing to do, but you can just tell. Even hearing that all the deaths were asphyxia and only one of them um, had like the added factors of cocaine. Again, I was like, okay, well, what about apparently the person who's injecting everyone with drugs? Like, where did that come from? I think that must have come from that security guard where I don't know. I still don't know why that story happened where he said he got injected and they had to knock. And then later he was like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. It's just a weird, a weird story and a weird situation. Yeah. That's it. All right. So. That's all the updates on the cases we've covered. Obviously, if anything else happens with any of these, we're always posting them on Instagram, especially right away on our stories. So follow us there if you don't already. Um, we also will post about them in our forum at truecrimesociety.com, which is a good place to talk about everything anonymously, like we say. Even if you're too scared to talk about it anonymous- anonymously, it's a good read. People are very good at looking things up there. And our Facebook page, we post usually the bigger news too um it's always a good place to go if you're looking for a fight in the comments because that happens a lot and for some reason facebook doesn't care about the pages Mm. but don't say bitch in a facebook group you're in trouble (laughs) if you listen to this episode share it to your instagram story like you guys have been doing we love to see that also if you haven't left us a review on apple Podcasts and you can do so please do that five stars only please if you have any issues with us just email them to us directly just yell right to us at truecrimesociety at gmail.com and if you want to learn about any of the cases that we talked about in this episode we have blogs on all of them just go to truecrimesocietyblog.com and so we're just starting to plan our kind of episode schedule for next year so if you have any cases that you'd like to see us cover send them through probably email so they don't get lost we've got a few on you know, on the list that we're going to start working on, but we'd love to hear of any more. And the only real criteria is that there needs to be enough information for us to talk about. So as long as there is, we can work on pulling a list together for next year. Send us send us your ideas so we don't have to think of them ourselves. And then at least we know people are interested in them. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, we hope you guys have a happy holiday, whichever holiday you celebrate. We hope that you have a happy new year. And we will talk to you guys next year. Stay safe, everyone. Don't get COVID. Be good. (laughs) See you next year. (laughs) See you next year. Uh, I love saying that to people. (laughs) 